0: And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your Radio MD.
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. And I'm coming at you on 860 AM, riding those airwaves right into your ear bones. And we are local... I guess we're local, station in the Tampa Bay area. But you can reach me worldwide on the Internet at am860theanswer.com. That's am860theanswer.com. Click listen live 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday. And you can get me off of my website at drbillradioMD.com. That's drbillradioMD.com. Click listen live or join me or whatever button looks like it might work, and there you go. Well, today we're going to talk about net neutrality, but first I've been trying this little experiment, uh, the vitamin and mineral supplement deal, and so now the cold season is here. Over-the-counter supplements, vitamins and minerals that may or not may not be helpful in preventing colds or shortening the duration of viral infections are, are growing, you know, they're rife, they're everywhere, and everybody says everything works uh, that is non-prescription. In my experience, zinc's the only over-the-counter medication that can decrease the symptoms and the length of a viral infection. and It has a direct toxic effect on the viruses as a heavy metal, but it, is to be, it has to be in contact with the viruses. So the usual route is by a lozenger in your mouth. Prior to recent lawsuits, it was also available as an intranasal swab, but some people were claiming that it, it uh, killed their sense of smell. Maybe, I don't know. Other over-the-counters touted as preventative include probiotics, echinacea, andrographis, vitamin D, DHA from fish oil, especially in pregnant and nursing mothers, ginseng, beta-glucan, and all these have been cited as helpful. Now, there has been some small research projects done, but these are generally by the company pushing their product. And so we have to take that with a grain of salt. Um, uh, most of this, there is some science, but it's not strong enough for me to make a hard recommendation. However, if you want to give it a try and let me know how it works, I'm all for that. Uh, you also have to have some knowledge of the type of virus that it is and the usual course of the of the illness, so it's uh it's a you know it's a kind of a clinical experiment, but it's your Yours to try, and I don't think anything any of these are necessarily harmful as long as you use them as as recommended well let's get into this whole deal with the uh with the state uh, regulation the federal regulation of the internet and the net neutrality. Now, the big deal is that during obama's administration the f c c and the interstate Trade Commission and all the people that weigh in on this. Uh, decided that the internet should be neutral that is that access to the internet and the cost of the internet should be equal across the board that doesn't mean that your internet provider will charge more or less based upon government uh, intervention uh, that's still driven by competition and market demands and the 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 question is is will this affect the cost of our uh, via internet or will this make it more or less available and these are a lot of things that we have to consider when we look at this we have to think about how this will affect our long-term interactions and what it will cost us to be part of this now the the argument for is that the internet should be available to all at a price that is equal across the board, much like telephones were in the 20th century. Uh, now they're kind of going by the by, and you say, well, my internet, uh, or rather my cell phone carrier is cheaper than somebody else's. That may be true, but the the services they provide, the add-ons, the gingerbread is what pushes the cost up, or the number of repeater towers they have for broader coverage across the country. And you say, well, how does the Internet work? How does it do this? Well, the Internet uses existing rights of way, like telephone lines and underground cable conduits to pull the Internet service to our homes and our businesses. And then we can buy bandwidth. What is bandwidth? Basically, it's, uh, it's, it's like a superhighway. Now, when you come onto the highway from an on-ramp, You may be in a single-lane on-ramp coming into a two-lane going your way, a four-lane highway, two on your side, two on the other, or you may be coming into a double-ramp going into a six-lane interstate, or you may be coming into a triple on-ramp with even more lanes. And so the question is, is how many lanes do you need to get your your information out on the Internet and have it come back to you on an off-ramp? So basically, it's like an interstate highway, where the bigger the highway, uh, the more access you have, potentially, if you want to buy more uh, lanes of traffic to get onto it. And so that's where the cost goes up. It's not that the bandwidth, let's say it's just one, just to pretend like it's a number. So the bandwidth number one would be the cheapest, and you would get that for your home now a business like mine may need three or four and that would mean that i would have three or four lanes because we may have twenty computers clicking away at one time in the office so we need more bandwidth we need more access to the information internet highway and so a large company like IBM, may need thousands and thousands of these lanes to get on and in multiple interstates across the country because, of course, they're an interstate uh, business. So these these are some of the items that we think about. And so what the net neutrality means is that the cost for a lane onto the internet highway will be the same and that access will be available and equal to all. So if you want to buy Internet access you can and then this becomes a, a regulated somewhat regulated industry and this is not new we've seen this in the uh, in the telegraph industry in the nineteenth century and in the telephone industry in the 20th century we see it in electrical, Uh, And electricity and power plants, and these are regulated industries, Uh, state and federal level regulations can be involved depending on whether or not you own uh, transformers and generators and power plants in more than one state. So you can step up into the federal level, although a lot of this is state regulated and has been so since the inception of, electrical power back in the 1920s and 30s, as something you could buy and utilize. So it's, it's similar to that, that the, the government would step in at the federal level and say everybody's the same, and then the companies would have to go to the federal government and plead their case before uh, a commission, just like you would for electricity rates to go up or down. And they would say, we need to increase the cost of this because we can't afford to put in more lines and continue the service and make it uh, something that is available to everybody unless we can increase rates on everybody. And of course, then the argument's going to be, well, should the guy that makes less money have to pay less? Uh, How much control does the government have over the internet? And these these are legitimate questions. So we ask ourselves... Uh, Do we want the government to have this kind of control over the Internet because it opens up an avenue for them to potentially look into our personal lives and read our mail, so to speak? Now, this was a big issue in the 19th century with the telegraph, and the state-level laws almost uniformly uh, demanded that the messages that were sent from one city to another or from one area to another – were not allowed to be revealed except to the person who they were meant for. Because if you were receiving information about a stock or a company that was going to go public in the 19th century, you could sell that information if you were the telegraph operator and you could make yourself a nice little tidy sum and you could also sell uh, information about criminal acts or uh, other private and personal Interactions such as liaisons and relationships, and you would have uh, access to a lot of power just by the knowledge that you had from these messages that were being transmitted over the telegraph wire. So the, the state government stepped in and said, Well, you cannot do that. That's illegal. We're going to regulate you and make you not be able to do that. So if you're, any of your telegraph operators divulges or reveals any information on a message that they receive, then we're going to fine you, and if you continue to do it, we're going to shut you down. And the states had a good deal of power because they had already granted rights of way to railroads, uh, for instance, and the railroads were the obvious route, and that's why we see the telegraph poles in the old pictures of the old railroads in the 19th and early 20th century. They were running alongside of the railroads because there was already right-of-way, there was already access bought by the companies from the state and local jurisdictions and private enterprises and private landowners to run their trains through that. And so the telegraph people said, well, we want to use that. And so the train said, well, we're going to charge you an arm and a leg because we want a piece of the action. So then the state governments had to step in and say, wait a minute, the influx of business and the interaction between different states Uh, The demand for utilization of this technology is going to outweigh one company's demand to have a piece of the action. So the uh, the state-level government said we're going to control this, and since we granted you this right away in large part to bring your railroads through our state, by various legislations, whether it was for private people to sell their land or for public land to be uh, utilized for rights of way, then then we're going to tell you that you cannot charge too much for the telegraph companies and the telephone companies as they came through after the telegraph companies to put up their telephone poles and telegraph poles and pull their wire. And it's the same with the Internet. And you say, well, what is spectrum or Bright House or Knowledgey or AT&T or any of these other Internet service providers, the people that bring cable to our homes. They bring us television. They bring us the Internet. They bring us all the things that we get on our computer now and all the things that we can do, even like pumping out a radio show or rebroadcasting podcast after the show's over and it's been recorded somewhere. So the the Internet service companies provide the cabling they provide the fiber optic and the copper cables that run overhead or underground and come to our homes or to our businesses and they also control and determine the bandwidth that is how much information can you push out through your lanes of traffic and of course you have to buy more if you want to do more and presumably the more you buy the cheaper it gets just like anything else so these people are the ones who are in control of our access to the Internet. And net neutrality says, well, you can have this control, but you have to make it equal. It has to be a level playing field. So if AT&T and Spectrum are communicating with each other and Spectrum, says only in five states and AT&T in 48 states and Spectrum says, well, we want to use your lines, for our services. And AT&T says, well, I'm going to charge you extra. And then Spectrum comes back to its customers and says, we have to increase the price. And the customers say, wait a minute, the guys out in California aren't paying what we're paying. How come we have to pay more? And Spectrum says, well, because AT&T controls the, the internet highway, the cabling, and the fiber optics that go from here out to California. And we have to pay them more so that we can get you access to services and information and websites and family members and knowledge banks out in California. And so the federal government stepped in in 2015 under Obama and not everything Obama did was wrong or bad. And it said, no, you can't do that. You can put up lines in your area to increase your business, but the fees will be the same uh, with a few exceptions, like if you have uh, an economy that's based a little bit differently or you have a little bit different access problems if you're going over the mountains or tunneling through, uh, then we can understand that it might cost a little bit more, and we, the government, will let you do that, but you cannot charge more if somebody wants to go to, say, uh, Facebook just because you have your own social network let's say your social network of spectrum is the spectrum forum and you say well i want people to use my spectrum forum and i'm going to charge them more to use facebook or i'm going to slow down their their access time or decrease their bandwidth and that way my service will take over theirs and i can get money from that because i can run advertising on it so you see the problem we get into is that we have at current Essentially, a free and open Internet, free and open, of course, with qualifiers. You can't send pornography and you can't do certain things and you can't use the Internet to foment revolution and that sort of thing. And you say, well, what is the grounds for this? How can the government step in and do this? Well, it's a it's an interesting phenomenon. The Constitution of the United States and uh, Article One, Section Eight. Article One is the article that defines the powers of Congress, and Section Eight is the uh, the legislative powers that the Congress has in order to regulate our interstate and intrastate communications and provide for uh, business to be able to thrive in these settings. And so the. Article 1 allows the uh, the Congress to legislate the post office and postal roads. Now, at the time that the Constitution was written, there were no telegraphs. The telegraphs didn't come along for another 50 years after the Constitution was adopted in 1789. But in 1789 a real and integral and necessary way for people to communicate, whether it was businesses or government agencies or military men who were defending our country or p- private citizens who wanted to send a letter to Aunt Tilly. We had to have a National Postal Service. The Founding Fathers realized the importance of connecting all of Americans with information systems. And so if you're a strict constructionists, you'll say, well, it didn't say anything about electronic transfers. If you're um, a metaphor, metaphorical uh, constructionist of the Constitution, then you'll say, well, look, in the 18th century, what they had was mail, snail mail. And so they had to have post offices that the government regulated and the government could print stamps and charge people for sending letters. And they had to have horses and they had to have contracts with private stage companies, stage coaches, so that they could get the mail from one city or one town to another. They had to have express service because if you were in Washington DC and you needed to know what was going on in the markets in New York city or Philadelphia, then you needed an express service. So then you had the pony express where they would ride their horse to a station as 15 or 20 miles. The horse was exhausted. They'd get off and immediately jump on another horse. And that way station would take care of the horse that was exhausted and hot walk them and cool them off, feed them, water them and, and board them until they were needed again, give them a, several days of rest. And that way you could get a message from Washington, DC to, Philadelphia or Baltimore, like in the uh, War of 1812, when Baltimore was being invaded and Washington, D.C. was being invaded, and the people in D.C., the military commanders and the government needed to know, how are you doing in Boston? So you'd have to have a courier who could quickly go down to Washington, D.C. with a note for the president or the generals, and that way we knew that the British were coming to D.C., to Washington, to burn down the city because they could not take Baltimore. So they shifted south. And so the Army knew that they were coming because the Postal Service and and the fast messenger services that were available then could relay that information. Now, in today's world, we have a similar situation where we use the Internet to relay information. We use satellite uplinks as well. And so we have to decide whether or not we want to make this a completely free enterprise because there are a lot of arguments that when the government steps in, it drives up the cost, it interferes with the normal function, and it has access to information that it not, not necessarily should have. It can review our information as it goes across the Internet. We have a First Amendment. And the First Amendment guarantees us certain rights, including freedom of speech, within limits. You know, standing up in a a private theater and yelling fire when there's nothing going on is probably not legal, and the Supreme Court's not going to uphold that. Uh, But we have to remember that any legislation that is written, such as the Patriot Act, which dealt with the increased... Information and the increased uh, technology that the f- the first FISA Act in the 1970s addressed, because it was fairly specific to telephones and telegraphs, and now in 2005 or four when the uh, Patriot Act was passed, it had to include all of the new technology. So any electronic transmissions, and it really didn't do a whole lot more than what the original FISA Act did. But what it did do is it said that any of these modalities cannot be used against a citizen if it is a First Amendment right. So except for First Amendment rights, the government can take a peek. But if they see you on the Internet having an affair with Tootsie down the street, uh, they they can't do that. They can't interfere with that. And if they do, that's a constitutional no-no. That's why we have a First Amendment. So if we do allow the net to be neutral, that is to be uh, equally available for all and at an equal price for all and equal access to all websites, then we're going to have to remind our government that we do have a First Amendment and that you can't snoop into our private affairs. And this is not new. This is not a new concept. The 19th century saw this with, as I said, the telegraphs, where the states had to regulate the telegraph industry and say, you cannot reveal the contents of a telegraph message that was sent to someone or to a business or to a government uh, entity. You can't do it. It's illegal, and we'll come and get you. And so the same thing has to be said for the net neutrality if we do allow this. Even if we don't end up with net neutrality, even if we do have a situation where the internet providers like Spectrum and AT&T and uh, Nology and all the other ones out there that, that that they can control their bandwidth and they can control what sites you can go to so that they, they can't say you can't go to Facebook, but if you want to go to Facebook instead of our site, we're going to charge you another buck a month or another $2 a month. Or it can come from the other end. Facebook can say we want to make sure that There's net neutrality for our users, so we're willing to pay each of the Internet service providers an X amount of money for the bandwidth to remain open and accessible and at the same speed as they have it for their own services. So, But in that case, the cost will be uh, deferred to the advertisers, and, of course, the advertisers will increase their prices proportionately. Will it be a lot? Uh, probably not, but you know, here's the thing. You can have a direct tax or you can have an indirect tax. And I saw this in, in South Korea. It's interesting. You know, I asked my, my cousin-in-law, who's the Dean of the second largest university, the business school there in Daegu. I said, how do you pay for all of this? You've got a good infrastructure. You've got a hell of a healthcare system. How do you pay for it? Do you have uh, value-added taxes or what? He said it's an indirect tax, Bill. He said it's a sales tax that goes on before the wholesaler at the wholesale to retail level. So it's a hidden tax, and people don't feel it, and they don't know that it's there. But somewhere, somebody's got to pay for everything. So in our system, we have the ability to say, no, we don't want the government to have that power and to have to tax us more to oversee that power. We want to let free enterprise do it, but somewhere along the line, you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to pay for more goods or services or uh, access to websites that you want somewhere. Somehow somebody's going to pay. And that's going to be the bottom line for most of the time. There ain't nothing free there isn't anything free. And, you know, you can see this in medicine where the government stepped in starting at the beginning of the 20th century and began to regulate the industry in part at the behest of the American Medical Association and other entities like pharmaceutical companies and then big insurers as the, as the century waned and Now we see it as a a step up where the government itself has intervened and is demanding that states provide with federal reimbursement the Obamacare-style health care programs and the exchanges. And you say, well, how did government drive up the cost of health care? I thought they brought it down. Well, they limited the number of medical schools, and I agreed with this because in the early nineteen in the early twentieth century, there were a lot of phony baloney medical schools out there, and the American Medical Association said, "Look, we have to have science behind this you know we're we're not medieval uh doctors who believe in in the four uh." elements, earth, air, fire, and water, and if there's an imbalance or something wrong with you, we don't let blood, we don't do all these crazy things that people did in the past. We have to base this on science, on what works and what doesn't. We have to have it set up so we can do real Uh, Trials, placebo-controlled, double-blind trials. And we have to have medical schools that are teaching uniformly what the standard of care is across the country and a mechanism whereby we can share this information quickly from one medical school to another so that uh, Dr. Stitzendachel, who has developed the new Stitzendockel surgical technique, can go from medical school to medical school across the country knowing they're reputable and knowing that he's talking to a faculty that's qualified and students who are going to be properly trained, and he can share his technique with them. And so there's a number of reasons for that. So the information highway was a little different and still is a little different with doctors, although it's changing slowly. We're slow to change. But you say, well, didn't that limit the number of doctors that were pumped out? Yes, it did. But it also got rid of a lot of the doctors who really weren't doctors, so it protected us. So now we have somewhat of a limitation, which is going to drive prices up, right? I mean, you know, uh, it's a law of supply and demand. As the demand goes up and the supply decreases for physicians, it's going to cost more. The government stepped in again in the '30s and '40s. Uh, probably the biggest step in in my lifetime was in the '60s, 1960s, when Medicare and Medicaid were brought into play and that was the federal government stepping in and saying we're creating a mandatory health insurance plan for retirees and we're demanding that a certain amount of the federal budget go to take care of people who can't afford to take care of themselves, the Medicaid program. And so we're going to have to allocate resources to this. And again the doctors and various lobbying groups stepped in and said well look You know, while you're doing this, you better make sure that the medical schools are good enough that they can add or they can provide adequate care for these people, which may have to a certain degree limited the number of doctors in the future because it made it tougher, made it harder. The requirements for medical school were more stringent and for graduating were more stringent. And of course, the Kennedy brothers said, well, wait a minute, this isn't going to work. So we're going to have to figure out a way to supplement the number of doctors. And so they push through legislation that would allow more foreign medical graduates to come into the United States. And we've seen an influx of foreign medical graduates, primarily from India. And they're good doctors and they provide good services. They're on the same level as we are. They have to pass the same exams as doctors who graduated in United States medical schools. And there has been a push for private Medical colleges, which costs an arm and a leg, but those who are motivated will pay and go for it. Uh, there's been offshore medical schools. So there's been ways to try and supplement and increase the number of doctors. But all these things in, in the long term are going to push up the prices because you got to pay for all this. So the argument then becomes, will the government intervening in the Internet drive up the prices more than if the individual companies worked it out themselves? And that's the debate that and will my information, will my private personal information or will my private business information be protected? Will my patient's charts be protected because I'm using practice fusion and online in the cloud service and the cloud means that I don't have any, any equipment in the office that I store information on. It all goes through the internet up to some storage site in Colorado or California. I don't know where it goes. I don't care, and I can retrieve that information at the speed of light from those sites, and the potential does exist for somebody to break in there and get that information, but that's why we have all these uh, all these antiviral programs and these security programs and these bug checkers. but guess what? The government could go in there if they wanted if they had that ability as the sole provider of oversight of this industry and so i think that we have to take that into consideration that is a point but again i say that there are plenty of laws out there such as the uh the hipaa laws which restrict the information that a physician or a hospital or a healthcare entity can send to someone else or can be discoverable by someone else And you say, well, what does that do? Well, if you go to a court of law and that information is private and some other attorney wants to use it, then he's going to have to convince a judge that the information in my notes is discoverable, that is, it can be used in the court, and that they can come take my deposition to see if this injury, in my opinion, was really caused by the accident that the patient claims caused it, and that they are suing that company or that Internet, um, not Internet, that entity over, whether it's a car wreck or a job-related accident or injury. So it, it's it's quite complex, and it's not going to be a situation where the federal government can, can come and say, well, we don't like what you're saying on your show, Dr. Bill, and you put it on the Internet, so we're restricting you. It doesn't work that way. We have laws to check all of that. When we come back I'll talk a little bit more about the laws and give you some answers to some of your burning questions about what the Internet is. I'm Dr. Bill. I'll be right back.
2: With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. The head of Germany's domestic intelligence agency is warning that China is using social networks such as LinkedIn to try and cultivate sources of information among lawmakers and officials. Hans-Georg Massen says his agency also sees Chinese hackers increasingly attacking European companies through trusted suppliers. Republican Senator Richard Shelby of Alabama, a notable exception to GOP support for Roy Moore, in Tuesday's voting for the state's other Senate seat. Shelby says he wrote in the name of another Republican when he voted by absentee ballot. Most other statewide Republican officeholders in Alabama say they will vote for more. California Governor Jerry Brown says this may be the new reality in his state. Destructive wildfires threatening lives and property all year long, not just during fire season.
1: Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and... Competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795.
3: Guys, wouldn't your wife or girlfriend love it if you treated her to the very best this Christmas? Well, you can, and you don't even have to go out of your way. We're talking about the world's softest pajamas, available exclusively at Pajamagram.com. That's Pajamagram.com. Created by a team of dedicated pajama experts, the world's softest pajamas are lighter than a cloud, softer than a bunny, like cashmere, only better. She'll love the way the world's softest pajamas feel, and you'll love the way they look. More than a gift, they're a feeling, an invitation to relax a little longer. The world's softest pajamas are available only at Pajamagram.com. Visit today and give her a gift that keeps on giving to both of you. Plus, you don't even have to wrap because every Pajamagram includes free gift packaging and Christmas delivery is guaranteed. So visit Pajamagram.com or call 1-800-GIVE-PJS.
2: Today will be cool with plenty of sunshine and a high of 60. Clear and chilly this evening, low 43. Then tomorrow, sunshine and a high of 65. Partly cloudy skies tomorrow night, low 53. Then Tuesday will be pleasant and warmer with sun and some clouds. Breezy in the afternoon, high 75. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Gigi Getz. For AM 860, the answer.
0: and when you touch down, you'll find that it's stranger than no. Signs in the streets that say where you're going are awesome. signs.
1: And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill. That was The Birds, 1966, eight miles high. A lot of people thought that was a drug song about taking an LSD trip. But uh, from what I understand, that was uh, their recounting of their experience flying in a private jet from England to New York City. But I don't know that for a fact. That's just what I heard. But that's uh, that's part of the technology of the... 20th century and certainly the latter half of the 20th century where a band like the birds who were highly successful could actually have a private jet fly them all the way over. We're talking about net neutrality and the internet and the technology that we have at hand. What a powerful and potent and wonderful technology and whether the government should maintain net neutrality, which means that the government will treat the internet as um, a regulated technology. Utility and will ensure that everybody has equal access at fair prices to the Internet. And that way, the private companies or the public companies that have the actual cabling and wiring that goes from wherever to our homes so that we can have cable TV and Internet access service, that they will not have control of that. Now, the arguments are for and against, and the constitutional argument, from what I can understand, is from Section 8 of, of Article 1 of, the, of our United States Constitution, which gives Congress the power to establish post offices and post roads to and to promote the progress of science and useful arts uh, by securing for limited time authors and inventors exclusive rights to their respective writings and discoveries. So that's our patents and, and our copyright laws. And all of this kind of goes into and plays together. And you say, well, won't the government have the ability to interfere and intervene in, in my personal use of the internet? Yes. And no, Um, they can take a look at it, but they, they can take a look at it now. They can take a look at it, even if it's, privately owned or publicly owned by different companies like Spectrum and uh, AT&T and Nology and all these uh, providers of Internet service, you know, they can step in and take a look. It doesn't mean that they can do anything with it. What it does mean is that the cable and fiber optics that are supplied by the countries will not be controlled by the Internet providers who installed them, but rather by the federal government who will demand that we have in all parts of the country that there are regulations for this that we have access to this and the question is how much information can they take off and use well we have a first amendment amendment as i was saying in the first part of the show and the first amendment guarantees a certain rights and freedoms and before information can be used it has to go through a court and the court has to say no that's protected by the first amendment or yes that is an exception to the first amendment and that's relevant to this proceeding or to this search warrant that i'm issuing the the private search warrants with the FISA courts have been a big debate and they're coming into play now with the uh Mueller investigation into the Russian interference and all of the so-called shenanigans that were going on. Uh, It's proving to be pretty much a non-event with some people confessing to crimes that they committed before the election (laughs) was even over and to people confessing to lying to the FBI. I mean, how big a deal that is, I don't know, but we'll see. We know that the Internet providers are already using public or controlled or regulated rights of way. Because we know, as I said earlier, that the Internet providers, they're putting their cables up on telephone poles and on power lines or along with power lines and in underground conduits that are already there and have already been granted uh, easements by the government, by the states, by the local jurisdictions. And of course, we have to have this. I mean, that's why we have eminent domain is so the government can come in and say, look, the need of the 100,000 people in northern Fulton County, north of Atlanta, is more important than one or two houses in the right of way. And so if you don't sell us your houses, we're going to take them. And it was fascinating to see how that worked in Atlanta. By the time the neighborhood associations geared up enough to say, we don't want this and debate it and all that I talked with one of the guys from the city, and he said all but two houses had been bought for the right-of-way. And this was about a 15-mile uh, stretch of road from downtown Atlanta or from northern Atlanta out to the Roswell-Alpharetta area in Fulton County. And so it, it a lot of this happens before we even know it, and it's because our government has that right to do that, that we've given them that right, and we want them to have that right within certain limitations. But we want to know that the general interest of the people will outweigh the interest of a few. And those few, in the case of net neutrality, may very well be the providers, the knowledge and the spectrums and the AT&Ts of the world. And the question becomes, would this impart an immediate increase in fees to us for services that they don't want to provide or they want to provide and don't want competition from, like Facebook? And and so the right to claim control over these fiber optic and cable networks would also impart an immediate increase in their ownerships of these rights of way. And, you know, they pay for this, so who's going to increase that fee? Well, if the government granted that easement, I guess the government can step back in and say, wait a minute, we're going to increase your fees because you're using more and more of our services, of our land and our telephone poles. Or if they bought it from the electricity companies like Duke Energy, then they'd have to pay more as they put up more lines. Then they'll say, well, wait a minute, we want the government to regulate this, which is what happened in the 19th century with the telegraph wires and the telegraph lines. The Railroad companies were saying, we're going to charge you more to put up these lines. And the more we put up, the more we're going to charge you because we want a piece of the action. We know this is going to be a big, big deal. And the government came in and said, wait a minute. If we do that, then that will slow down the growth of the telegraph. And the telegraph is right now our cutting-edge technology technology for sending messages back and forth, whether it's personal or business or government or industry or military, and we need this. So we're going to tell you, the railroad companies, that since we gave you the right-of-way to put your railroads through our state, we're going to tell you that you have to provide this space, this service. You have to let them put up their telephone poles, the, uh, the, the telegraph companies, at a price that we will determine that will be fair to you and to them. Because we need this. We need this for business. We need it for communications. We need it for social interaction. We need it for military and political interactions. And this is a this is a, a legitimate argument. So on the side of net neutrality, the legitimate argument would be that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Of course, we have to protect the few. And that's why we'll have... Uh, utility-style commissions that will review, boards that will review and say, yeah, you know, this warrants an increase in fees. But of course, (laughs) excuse me, got a bug in my throat. So this will necessitate an increased cost somewhere along the line. We want to stimulate competition and drive prices down for the consumer. That's you and me. And some people say, well, the government didn't do that. They, they actually increased the fees. And look at the, the Internet service that we got prior to the 21st century. The idea was that these private enterprises would attempt to compete with each other and drive the prices down. But we all saw our Internet cost and our cable services going up in the 20th century. Because there was consolidation and monopolization of markets. So will the companies, if they have that absolute power to control their bandwidth and control their cables and how much you can use and at what cost, will they get greedy? Greed's a real problem. I mean, it's a real problem. The, one of the mandates of being in business is that you be greedy. You have to make a profit. Uh, Do you do it at any cost and with no morals and values? And we've had this debate at the lunch table. One of the guys said he started out when he came to the United States as an immigrant uh, selling uh, vending machines, cigarette vending machines. He's a doctor, by the way, uh, for somebody that he knew through his family connections. And he went to one guy and the guy said, I want to put a machine in here. I want to make extra money. And my buddy, Nick, he did the math and he said, you're not going to make any money and I don't think you should get this. And when he went back and told his boss, his boss said, that's not your, that's not your duty or your right or your position to say that if he wants to buy one, sell it to him. Well, I think that there are some morals and values and ethics involved here where you have to say, look, are you going to sell somebody something they don't need just so you can make money? I mean, a lot of people do it. A lot of people do it on the internet, on television. That doesn't make it right. You say, well, should the government step in and regulate all this? Well, we have to have free will. I mean, we have to say, look, I'm going to buy this pillow because I think it's wonderful. And whether or not I need it, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to buy it because it sounds cool on TV. And so you go out and you buy it a pillow. And it may or may not be the end all be all of pillows. You may have been hoodwinked a little bit. You may be have become a victim of good advertising. And in that respect it's in part your decision. But should I knowingly, as a physician, sell something to somebody that they don't need, a test, a treatment, uh, you know, an, an examination, whatever. I don't think so. I think there's a morality here that we have to implement, and not only for me, but for other businesses. And you say, well, you can't regulate everything. That's true. You can't regulate everything. You can't regulate people's uh, behavior down to the the nth degree, and it's it's stupid to do that because it just creates uh, unhappiness and dissent and rebellions, and we don't want that. We want everybody to be, you know, grumbling a little bit, but pretty much okay. So the 20th century equivalent of the United States Postal Service in the 18th century is the Internet. And the government, if you loosely interpret the Constitution, has the right and the power to step in and say, we're going to control the Internet access. We're going to control the cabling. You private companies can put it up and make money off of it just like in travel and just like insurance companies can make money off of selling insurance and helping to provide health care and hospitals and doctors do their part and we want to see that there's going to be competition to keep the prices down but we also want to make sure that it's a neutral and available and cost effective for everybody it, it, you know there's these conflicts inherent in any, Social interaction. And when you throw money in there, then it, it gets even more complicated. So, you know, we're negotiating with each other and with the companies and the government. So, we want the fees to be the same and we want the access to be the same, whether we're sending an internet message from here to the next door neighbors or downloading information from the National Library of Medicine and Science. And we want everybody to be connected. We want everybody to have that ability. So common carriers, that's an old telephone company, coinage. These are private companies, often utility-like, phone companies, railroads, airlines, cruise ships, taxis, buses. And... uh, since they're interstate, most of them, the FCC regulates and monitors their safety and their use and their value and their necessity and the services they sell. And you say, well, we've given a lot of power to our federal government. Yes, we have. And common carriers vary greatly in nature, such as the Internet. And so the government says, well, this is a common carrier and we're going to insist on net neutrality. All debt on the Internet is treated equally. All access to that data is treated equally, except, of course, for uh, classified information. And everybody should have the same and the best experience. And the government's going to be there to control illegal activity. Illegal file swapping, such as pornography. Illegal file swapping, such as selling your company's secrets to another company and privileged special services under net neutrality will no, no longer exist. Will the granting of the government's power to regulate common carriers have unintended consequences? Some people believe the FCC has paved the way for the government to wield way too much influence and power over our lives and our pocketbooks. I guess it depends on who you trust, who you believe. Supporters believe that the Internet service providers are part of the public utility and the public domain as such and should not be allowed to restrict services. And there have already been fines. The FCC fined a North Carolina-based Internet service provider, Madison River Communications, for preventing its subscribers from using a voice-over Internet telephone service that competes with their own. And these are telephone services where you don't have to have big equipment in your office or your home. You can just go through your computer or you can have a dedicated phone that goes right into one of their computers and you can use the telephone over the internet. And Comcast secretly degraded the peer-to-peer applications between its customers over BitTorrent and this was an attempt to deter competition so will mm-hmm. granting these companies allow them to intervene and to deter competition well it's it's a debate it's something that we all have to stop and consider and it's a big deal because it's before the fcc Uh, Right now, and this is going to be something that we have to step forward on as, as a nation, left and right, liberal and conservative, young and old, and we have to say, wait a minute, we think it would be best handled this way, and this is what we want. And you're our government, and we want you to abide by this. We want free access. We want free market, though, and we want the impact of consumer reviews. Some people will say that leveling the, the playing field allows, with the Internet allows new agile companies the opportunity to, to conduct business and gain traction in the market. And so there's another argument for net neutrality. And another argument against it is going to be, well, don't we have a free enterprise system? Yes and no. Yes and no. We do have a free enterprise system, but there needs to be some government regulation of large interstate activities like this so that it ins- remains safe, cost-effective, uh, readily available so that when you want to send a package from here to Kalamazoo, you can call FedEx or USP or, uh, or UPS rather, or any of the other providers of, of internet, I mean of uh long-distance package-carrying abilities, even the U.S. mail, and you can get somebody to come and do it. And that's because we have that ability to regulate the Internet and to regulate the highways and regulate interstate commerce, that we're allowed to do that, and the prices are the same, whether I'm sending it from here to Kalamazoo or you're sending it from here to Kalamazoo. Of course, there's a difference in price depending on how far you send it. The Internet's a little bit different because the uh, speed of light and the ability to transfer electrons and packets of light is so efficient that we don't have to have quite that uh, kind of restriction. And if we have private companies taking over or public companies taking over rather than the government, they may very well say, we're going to charge you more because you're going further than just to Tallahassee, Florida. You're going all the way out to Seattle, Washington from Tampa Bay. Think about it, guys. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for being here.